Uh, Lord, again, I want to say thank you for an amazing day and the people you brought into my life and how you have brought your grace to become real inside of me through, through the amazing people of this church and through clients. Would you please bless tonight? Please give us your heart. Give us your mind on these things to understand your word, how it applies to us from the first century culture to where we live today, right here, right now. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Right, some pictures to help you get uh, a visual. This is the remains of a temple to Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, but this is a, a, uh, a temple not directly uh, uh, of the scale at all to what was in Ephesus, but still an amazing structure. Okay. There's actually not a lot of ruins at Sardis because in AD 17, an earthquake hit the area and Pliny said it was the worst known disaster in human memory at that time. And much of Sardis was destroyed and they tried to rebuild it, but it was never, never the same. So another angle at that temple to Artemis Hay is shown. Another really beautiful shot there. Okay, notice the geography around the city. Uh, these, these mountains and cliffs are made of a unique material uh, it's a very soft, almost like a limestone kind of product, sandstone, and very fragile. And much of the city was destroyed when that earthquake hit. In fact, the whole city was kind of flanked by these jagged mountains and at times sheer cliffs. And so it was thought to be impenetrable. It was a highly defended city. We'll get to some of that stuff. Just a detail of, of how exquisite the carving of that stone is, what they can do with marble. Fascinating. Uh, the craftsmanship that went into that. There's the great theater. Yeah. Uh, absolutely beautiful structure. So, and this appears to be a baptistry of sorts, a, a pool area, bathing area, and um, another example of this unique material, and that erodes rather quickly. Uh, some of the uh, holes that you're seeing, the small caves, um, archaeologists say that some of them are very fragile uh, places where bodies are break, um, uh, placed for funerals and their bodies are stored in those things. Okay. This is actually the remains of a synagogue. Now, it's been refurbished in many ways, but there was a very, very large synagogue in Sardis that could that could actually stand a thousand men. They said it was huge and very wealthy synagogue. So, all right, now you're, I want you to think forensically. A large Jewish synagogue in Sardis, highly paganized city, you know, a temple to, to Augustus, one to Zeus, one to the pagan goddess Artemis. And you've got a Jewish synagogue, by the way, adjoining a gymnasium. I'll show you that in a second. Gymnasium. What does that tell you about the Jewish population? They were, they were prominent members of a society. Very prominent. And what else? They blended in. What's that? They blended in. They blended in. Yeah. Especially with, attached to a gymnasium. The synagogue was there. And uh, the, uh, here's, here's the, the problem with the gymnasium. Uh, this is a Greek structure. And based on the Greek root gumnas, you know, 
gymnas for us. And what does gymnas or gymnas mean in Greek? School. No, it means to strip down. <laughs> it means to strip. Oh. Some of the Greek games, by the way, some of the competitions were actually done, performed naked. The Greeks celebrate, celebrated the human body, and Romans is certainly in Roman culture, and they, they presented their bodies in very proud and arrogant kinds of ways. So the Greek mind and the Roman mind were very different regarding nudity compared to our cultures and certainly Hebrews. If you remember in the second century BC, Antiochus Epiphanes moves in and they conquer Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember this. This is all in the book of, uh, uh, the book of uh, Maccabees. And there are stories about Antiochus forcing Greek culture on Jews, making them eat pork, making the boys go to the gymnasium, burning Torah. It's horrible what they did to the Jews, what the Greeks did, okay? And so in, when you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Maccabees, you realize the critical fight, and that led to the Maccabean Revolt, which led to, to Judas Maccabeus, the guy that developed Israeli guerrilla <clears throat> warfare tactics and would strike the Greeks at night. A small band of Israeli guerrilla fighters would come out, strike a band of people real quick and get out. And they would, he would hammer real quick and leave. Like, they didn't know how to fight this way. And so he, this small band of Jewish rebels put up such a resistance, they actually kicked the Greeks out. It's a fascinating story. But in the process, when they went to, to go to the temple, guess what they found? A sow had been sacrificed on the holy altar. It's called the, the desecration of the temple, right? And they found the great menorah turned over. Do you remember this? When they went to clean it up. How long does it take to clean the, to dedicate the temple, purify it? Seven days. Seven days. And they had only one day's flask of oil. And guess what happened? When they, it burned for eight days. Yeah. And the Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, was born out of that. Okay? <laughs> Truly devoted Orthodox Jews do not blend into Greek culture. Okay? It just doesn't happen. So for this to happen, and their, their synagogue to be adjacent to and a part of a, uh, a gymnasium is just... Wow, they really did assimilate and blend in, which is, which is not healthy. Okay, so here's the, the letter. It's, uh, uh, some scholars say it's one of the saddest of the seven. Okay, and it reads as follows. This is the New American Standard. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, pretty intense stuff. Let's, let me read a little bit of background information on the city and uh, so you can appreciate some of the things that are going on. It's about, it's, it's really a beautiful city. Uh, it rivaled in glory and pride, Ephesus and Smyrna. Uh, very famous and prideful based on it being impenetrable. Flanked on three full sides with these sheer cliffs. You just couldn't get in there. And they had it, they had it uh, barricaded. It was a really fascinating city. Um, you may remember the, the, the Greek king Croesus. Well, he was a Lydian king and became legendary in Greek culture and, and mythic. Uh, a, a river ran, ran right through Sardis. There was so much gold in the rivers and gold dust that they constantly were mining for gold and King Croesus became very, very wealthy based on the gold that was running right through the heart of the city. Um, there's the pagan culture there is rich, as you would imagine, Temple of Zeus, Bible Alexander, um, male deities on coins were Zeus, Lydios, uh, Heracles, uh, Dionysus were all a part of this. Augustus, Temple to Augustus was built by, or built in Sardis. So, um, Dr. Hanfman noted this, that based on the inscriptions, that the people of Sardis were consumed, preoccupied with the problems of death and immortality. They were fixated on death and what happens after you die. That was a big deal to them, you know. Um, uh, I have had church members through the years, some that are... Uh, very young, you know, teenagers or, or college students, and they don't have a real worry about death. In fact, there's nothing more bulletproof than a 19-year-old. You know, they're just, uh, they're just, man, take life by the horns and make great soldiers, cops, all this stuff. Athletes are just tough. And uh, but you know, as we as we hit 30, 40, 50, the check engine light comes on, right? And we're we're a little more cautious with our bodies. And we begin to think that we are a little more mortal and frail than we, than we once thought at Bulletproof 19. And then all of a sudden 60 hits and 70 hits and we really get serious about, wow, what happens when I die? You know, and we worry sometimes. Um, you know, there are some denominations that teach once saved, always saved, right? Can you name some of those denominations? Southern Baptist, um, anybody else? Basic evangelical Baptist doctrine certainly is going to know that. How about denominations that don't believe in that? You can lose your salvation. One of the, one of the main ones is Church of Christ. Right, that's a big one. You can get unsaved. 
And that's, that's a pretty sensitive issue. What if you believe, let's, can we tease it out for just a second? Let's say you could, okay? And you, and there, you may have, we may have someone here who actually believes it, which is fine, I wanna to talk to you about it. But let's say you can't. We believe you can lose your salvation. What's the criteria? What, what do you do to get you unsaved? Do we know? Reject the Holy Spirit, certainly possible. Uh, is the criteria you sin once or you sin repeatedly? Does it make sense? Is it a one-time stumbling or is it a full-on embracing of that lifestyle? Is that the criteria? You know, Is it a little sin? Is it a medium-sized sin? Is it a big nasty? You know, what, what sin is it that's so awful? Makes sense. And, and then what about, I mean, hey, some serious issues spin off of this. Can you get resaved? You can get in, right? You, you get saved, and then you commit what well, I'm not sure what the sin is or the criteria, but you get unsaved. Now we're out, so we're hellbound now. So what if we're hellbound? You're like, oh my goodness, I want to go back. And you get resaved. Can you get resaved? And how many times does it take for it sticks? Do you see where this thing goes? It gets real complicated real fast. And there, there's texts, uh, Andrew, I'm not sure if you turn into Hebrews, but man, that's the heavy hitter place. You go for that information. You cannot put the Son of Man on the cross again. He says you can't renew them to repentance. Wow, it's pretty serious. Make sense? So we, we, we kind of worry about this sometimes. I've had people through the years, and they say to me, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm like, okay, well, you want, we can kneel down right now and pray the prayer. But I've done that. Well, how many times have you asked you to save you? Oh, thousands of times. Okay. Well, so do we have a problem where we believe we're not saved, or do we have a mental health issue? Where we're trying to talk ourselves into the idea that I'm convinced that I am saved. You know, is it about our trying to grab on and be secure or our doubt that God can't hold on to us? Which one is it? We're doubting our ability to hold on or his ability to hold us. What's going on? And are there mental health issues involved? Usually there are. You know, if you've grown up in an extremely un unstable childhood or family and you can't trust mom, you can't trust God, that oftentimes transfers over to God. You can't trust him either. And so, you know, you come from an acute childhood abuse situation and the pastor says, God, your heavenly Father loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you're like, no, there's no way he could do that. You know, some people get over the hurdle and, and they do really well, many don't. So we can get fixated on death and worry about it. Now, are we really, really saved? Well, they were doing that at Sardis, okay? Problems with death and immortality. Uh, there's a fascinating relief carved in some rock there. It's about uh, a, a tarabolium. Do you know? Is this new to you, the word tarabolium? It's Latin, Carol. Okay. So uh, it's going to be a little gross for a second. Can we be okay? Can we get our, our scholarly uh, archaeological glasses on? In ancient Greek and ancient Roman culture, those that were really worried about life tried to figure out how do you get it. And one of the things that they, they concluded is that life is in blood. Is that fair? Is that a good medical conclusion? You, you know, you have too much blood that leaks out. What do you do? 
you pass out. <laughs> After passing out, if you continue to leak blood, what happens? You die. You know, you pass away, not just pass out. You're gone. You die, all right? Kind of makes sense. And even in Hebrew culture, what does God say in the Torah about, about blood? You don't touch it. You don't eat it or drink it. Because, quote-unquote, in Hebrew, life is in the blood. All right? The ancients knew this. Very important. So guess what? They, they through a variety of religious sources, um, realized that if life is in blood... What if we were baptized in blood? Huh. If we got baptized in blood, then I could get life all over me. And they would do that through the Torah bolium in Latin. And they would build, normally, uh, they would take this rock, lava, marble, rock structures, etc., and there was a natural kind of opening. They would build a steel grate on top of that. Very, very heavy, strong gate. And they would place the initiate, a king, a priest, whoever could afford to do this, and place them under the grave. They would oftentimes be nude, okay? And they would squat down kind of like this, or kneel down in a worshiping kind of posture. And then they would guide a bull over onto that grave. And they would slice the throat of the bull. And it would rain down blood on the initiate. Okay? And do that. And he would bathe in the blood because he felt like he was being washed in the blood does this sound familiar <laughs> they did that and there's even something called a cryobolium which is the same thing only with a ram so there's a relief of that in Sardis that's been found Okay, people trying to find life get a life force in them on them to be bathed by blood okay what did Jesus say in John 6? One of the most controversial sections of John's gospel, John 6. The Jews absolutely lost it on this when he said this. You have no part of me. You're not born again. Yeah. So Jesus understood these ideas. And of course, it's not the blood of a bull or a, or a goat or a ram that's going to cleanse you. It's his blood. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Okay? Christians aren't the only people that ask these questions. Do you know that? Pagans, lost people, sense there's something beyond us. And they try to grab at something that makes sense to move them toward that. That what was going on at Sardis. Okay, some more things about the city. Um, uh, beautiful, very wealthy. I mentioned that. Uh, population about 60 to 100,000, so smaller than, than uh, Smyrna, smaller than Ephesus. Ephesus is about you know, 250,000, maybe 300. Uh, I told you about the uh, earthquake that hit, uh, which was absolutely devastating. What year was that? 1817. 1817 is when that hit. Um, all right. Um, let's just jump in. To the angel of the church, let's kind of walk through this together. Um, to the answer church, ready. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. Now that word know in Greek, oida, I mean, he really knows, <laughs> okay? He's not saying I'm guessing or I've got a hunch or I've got this intuition. No, he really knows. I really do know your deeds. I know you. So real quick, can we hide things from him? No, I know your deeds 
that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. You know what this language is about? We have a reputation for being, for flourishing spiritually when we're not. Okay? The, the Sardis church is presenting itself as having a reputation for being alive spiritually, flourishing, but actually that's not the case. In fact, and the language is hard here, but you are dead. That's pretty harsh language, okay? You're dead. Well, how dead? Is it like Princess Bride mostly dead or all dead? You know? It's a good question because, because there's a reference to coming back to life, coming up soon. But at this point, it looks like we're all dead and not just mostly dead. All right, now watch this. Wake up. Um, I've put in green, in green the five verbs that are imperatives. You know what an imperative verb is? What's an imperative verb, Andrew? <clears throat> Giving a command. It's not optional, okay? Uh, for those of us who are parents, when you told your kids, um, you know what, it's bedtime. You don't have to brush your teeth. It, if you want to, it's okay. If you, if you don't, I understand. But you did it with your child. No, you use the imperative mood. Get in there and you brush your teeth right now. And I want you to brush for at least 60 seconds. And then I want you to come back here and breathe on me. And I'm going to look to see if I smell toothpaste. You know. And if you don't, Buster, you know. I mean, we, we use the imperative mood when we parent a lot. You know, This is not a suggestion. This is an order. So you've got five imperatives. Wake up, strengthen, remember, keep, and repent. All right, now, uh, your translations, uh, you're, you're looking at the New American Standard. I, I favor that one. I also like the ESV. Uh, ESV can do a real good job, good job at times. ESV and NAS miss it here. Does anybody have be watchful at the first command in verse 2? Be alert. Actually, that's pretty good. What translation is that? Okay, it's actually, it's actually better than wake up. Okay. The best is be watchful, but be alert is, boy, it's right there. King Jimmy says what? And it's interesting. And, and they had some of the most limited access to Greek manuscripts. And sometimes a King James just does fantastic. So, yeah, it really it should be translated be watchful. Okay. Be watchful. So strengthen the things that remain, uh, the language of weakness, um, which were about to die. So are we all dead or mostly dead? Now we're mostly dead. Okay. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. All right. So remember what you have received and heard. Okay. Let's park there for just a second receiving and interesting what you heard so they do have access to some manuscripts when someone comes in and makes a circuit with a Pauline manuscript and there's a professional reader in church it's really special okay um, someone with a good good math brain okay what if you went to a church 50 Sundays a year and you did Wednesday night that's a hundred times you did a weekly Bible study, it's 150 times a year, you would hear biblical teaching where somebody would have the, the original text or in an English, in a translation that you could understand, 
150 sermons, Bible studies a year. How long have I been in, in church? Do you know how many teachings I've received and given? Thousands. Thousands. So a lot of times, our spiritual problems have very little to do with a lack of information. Right? Um, in psychotherapy, roughly 15% of the clients come in to see a therapist, and do you know how many sessions they want? One. And what do they want in that one session? To be cured. Or close. <laughs> they want to be told what they have already decided. They want the therapist to validate what they've already decided. I've, I've got depression. I've done all the research on it. I meet all the criteria. The symptomology lines up perfectly. And I just want you to affirm that. There you go. You know. And they made up their mind. They just want you to affirm it. And they just, after one session, they're gone, and, and that's it. Never see them again. That's okay, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody says you've got to do eight sessions or 12 or 50. It's fine. Do you understand that, that so many of our problems have nothing to do with a lack of information, but have everything to do with a lack of inspiration or motivation, right? Does anyone here really struggle with the basic concepts of dieting and exercise. Is that, is that cognitive process? Just like, is it eluding us in some way? Like, we're, you're grinning, right? Of course. It's not a cognitive problem at all. It's, I go by 10 Fitness, I look, I break out into sweat as I pronounce those words and I keep going, you know? It's an inspirational, motivational problem, that information. So he's saying, hey, I'm commanding you, imperative verb, remember what you received, and what you heard. Take seriously your Bible studies. Take it seriously, okay? Uh, I read an article about some uh, pastors in China that had been arrested. And when they were in prison, they still had their Bibles. Guess where they were? Right there. Memorizing huge chunks. Stephen, is it hard to memorize scripture? But then what? It's a lot easier. A lot easier. And you've done already all the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah. Pretty close. Philip, you've done it, I think. Close to it. Okay. There's about, what, eight guys that are doing this? Yeah. This is doable. Okay. And, and they're not so full of shame that they're easily discouraged. That sounds fun. I can do that, you know. And be like, Chris, you want to go to the gym? No. I don't go, oh, that sounds like a blast. You know, come on, let's go. Like, no, I want to go home and, and eat my frozen ding-dong and watch Hallmark. You know? Little kids have inspiration. The point is, you can do this stuff. It's not that hard. But you've got to take it seriously. Got to keep it. Got to receive it, believe it, keep it, and repent. Uh, Metaneo is, is, is the idea of the Greek word for, for uh, repentance. The idea is to change the mind. Change the mind. Sometimes we have to see things in different ways, by the way. Okay, um, let's push this. Now, now, therefore, if you do not 
and, and the word, it's the same Greek word. If you do not become alert, if you do not become watchful, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. Does that sound familiar? What did Jesus say? Very clear. Be prepared. Be ready. Because I will come to you like a thief in the night. Okay. This is Luke 12, 39 to 40. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready. Be watchful. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, isn't it interesting that John is saying, let's, let's go back here. John is saying, um, well, I'm just going to try to go back there. Uh, I want you to pay attention to the words, the things that I'm saying, what you've received, pay attention to them. Okay? Remember attention um, that's exactly what John is doing how old is John he's really old you know he's late 70s 80s at this point and he's saying remember what you heard and he's quoting the words of Jesus do you know he heard that stuff like 50 years ago or more 60 years ago 65 years ago John heard Jesus say hey I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Be watchful. He's doing the very thing he's asking his church to do. Okay. All right. So let's talk about being ready. And uh, you don't know what hour I will come. This is important. Um, I want you to appreciate the history behind it because it, it's so important. Um, this language uh, is, is going to very much hit the ears of people in a culture that are going to really appreciate it. Okay. And um, when we can learn to see the history and the culture behind these things, it comes to life. For example, remember I told you that uh, the city of Sardis was uniquely surrounded by some mountains up to 7,000 feet high. 50, the, the Acropolis is like 1,500 feet above the, the main level of the city. You could see it for miles. Sheer cliffs walls kind of surrounding this city and on almost a full four sides. There's a front area that's open, but it was guarded easily. So it was, it, it, would, it almost became a point of arrogance that nobody can plunder the city, okay? We're impenetrable. And it became a proverb to, to be at the fortress of Sardis where no man can scale her cliffs and plunder the city. And so Croesus was one of those people. This wealthy Lydian king derived great wealth from the city of Sardis. And he goes to an oracle at Delphi and asks for a ruling from the gods if he should go and attack Cyrus of the Persians. And the oracle makes this statement. It says, if you cross the Hulis River into Persian territory, 
an empire will be destroyed. That's all that's said by the oracle. If you cross the river that marks the border and you enter into Persian territory to fight Cyrus, an empire will be destroyed. So in arrogance, Croesus takes his army, crosses the Hulis River, goes into Persia, fights Cyrus, and there's not a decisive victory. In fact, it's indecisive. The men are worn out, they panic, and they go back to Sardis to seek safety in her amazing walled, this amazing walled fortress. And guess what? Here comes Cyrus in the Persian army. And there's a standoff. And the Persians are realizing, wow, we can't take this city. Look at these walls. It's, it's a fortress. We can't get into it. And so one of, one of the soldiers of Croesus' army decides to look over the edge from a secret watch point and look over. And guess what happens? His helmet falls off. He has no idea he's being spied on. He climbs down a secret little passageway, picks up his helmet, scampers back up, jumps back over the wall, and decides to give it a rest. We're safe, no big deal. Had no idea that the Persians just watched what just happened. They scaled the wall 14, day, 14 days later, they totally conquered this city. An entire empire was destroyed just like the oracle said, if you cross that river. But he thought it was theirs, not his, okay? And so that's an example of Sardis fell to the Persians, not because it wasn't a well-fortified city, it fell because they weren't being watchful, they weren't being alert. They, they took so much pride in the fortress that they decided it wasn't a real priority to guard the fortress. It was so secure. The Greeks have, have a word for this. It's called hubris. Pride and arrogance mixing together with some foolishness. Boom. You have a disaster. Okay. So now that you hear that, and by the way, it turned right on happiness a few years later again. <laughs> and finally, by the way, when Alexander the Great came on the scene and word got out, the people at Sardis that he's coming to conquer, guess what they did this time? They sent a de delegation and said, we surrender, city's yours. <laughs> we hadn't even gotten to the city yet. We surrendered, it's yours. Just don't kill us, please, right? How's that? They went from being the proverb, the pride of the ancient Mediterranean world, and Asia Minor, that we are the greatest protected place. Nobody can, can breach our walls to, here comes Alex, it's yours. Here, here are the keys. Yep, you're the new owner of the city. So by not paying attention, not being alert, this is, this is actually the background to the story here. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. So guess what Sardis was famous for? Clothing, woolen manufacturing, dyed products. In fact, some fine elite, it's like shopping at Dillard's when you went to Sardis, okay? Really, really nice clothing, very expensive. And in, in, in the ancient world, in Asia Minor, if you had dirty clothes, soiled garments, you were not allowed to go into worship in some of the cultic temples. Okay, they wouldn't even let you in, right? 
if you were poor or had poor garments. And so it's interesting that garments, garments is used here, right? There are some of you who have not sold your garments. Now that's a metaphor. What's it a metaphor for? Why did he say that? Give a guess. They have continued to follow uh, the right teachings yes. and have not yeah. strayed from the path. They're not assimilating. They're not going to the temple, eating the meat sacrificed to idols. They're not engaging in worship practices regarding uh, the fertility cult that would be based out of the cult of Artemis. They're not worshiping the emperor. They're not compromising the, like the Jews. But it's a small group inside the church that's holding on to be faithful, and they're not giving in, okay? They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Um, Anybody thinking, you know, it's up to me to be holy? Anybody thinking that, feeling that right now? What do you think? Or is this the language of being justified by Jesus? Justified. Yeah, it's so important to remember that the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the Jesus of Revelation. It's like we can't make that connection. And it's like, Jesus is this wonderful man, he's my savior. I want to come running, grab his ankles and touch the hem of his garment in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when it comes to Revelation, I am afraid of that man, <laughs> okay? We kind of do that. We, we shift like he's this awful, scary guy. He's the same Jesus of, of the Gospels. Didn't he teach us that, that he, we, we can't make ourselves righteous? Didn't he say these things that you're made clean only by him? So when, it, when he uses these metaphors of, of a white garment, He's talking about those that are truly saved. Not those who are perfect or morally flawless, but those who are truly born again. And yet, and yet we can't, we can't go soft here. He who overcomes will thus be clothed. This is going to be an ouchy spot, okay? Thus be clothed in white garments. Is, you know, once you're saved, do we need to take our faith seriously? We get in by grace. Do we stay in by grace? Yeah, we still depend on him to stay in, right? And to keep our garments clean. The idea, uh, Philip and Stephen, and you guys, is that we're still called to be devoted. Once you're in, doesn't mean you relax and not guard the fortress, right? Once you're in, we, we stay alert. We stay on a high alert. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I thought it was once saved, always saved. What do you think? How do you explain that one?
people just giving up on church when it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Again, if you can get the background, it makes it just breathes life. It's like going from black and white to HD. Um, Greek cities in the ancient world would maintain a list of citizens on a public register. Okay, when someone committed a criminal act that was considered serious and unlawful to the standards of that city. He lost his citizenship and his name was erased from the register. Because the list of citizens is an honorable list. And the person that commits a dishonorable act or becomes a shameful person can't be on the list of the honored. And they're erased from the list. There's lots of epigraphic uh, evidence in Asia Minor, this area where registrars and record officers of these cities are all over the place. In fact, ready for this? Sardis is the western capital of the Persian and Seleucid empires, and they kept the royal archives in Sardis. In other words, talking about, talking about a list of names, Sardis was the place of the royal archives, okay? Big deal to have your name on that list. Real big deal to have your name taken off that list, right? And in fact, as a way of creating shame in the psychology of crime and punishment, they would do this. It was a regular Athenian practice of deleting the names of the condemned person before he is executed. As a way of saying, you no longer exist on paper, and then you're now no longer going to physically exist. Okay. And I'm assuming it's done publicly too. All publicly, yeah. Otherwise, it's not effective. It has to be done publicly, mm-hmm. right? So. so then, one reading list. So then, could it be read and as to say, here? Right, yeah, and thank you, Andrew, because again, here we go. It says, you're blessed if you read this thing. But we go, no, I'm terrified when I read Revelation. But no, 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 it's actually supposed to be comforting. So what if Andrew picked up on something? What if, what if it's saying Jesus doesn't want to erase anyone's name? What if it's, look, I'm, I'm the one who justifies you. I give you white garments. I'm just asking you to not turn your back on me. That's all I'm asking. Don't turn your back on me. Don't try to fit into the culture so they can't tell that you're the light of the world anymore. That's all I'm asking. Be faithful. Even, again, in your point, in times of persecution, which we can't translate that into our culture right now. Now, you can in China. China would go like, they would light up over this in China or in Sudan, in southern Sudan, or in other places, even in Taiwan, they would light up about we go like, I don't get that. No, Jesus is not cruel. He's not up there, you know, can't wait to, if you just mess up, if you just twitch in the wrong way, I'm going to get my eraser out. That's not what this is about. This is about denying Jesus in the face of persecution. That's what this is about. 
or uh, times get in the way. Um, this language, I'll confess uh, your name before my Father in heaven. This is all something Jesus said many, many times. Matthew 10, 32, 33, it's all there. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And his angels, he said that like four or five times. He said Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, it's all there. Okay. All right. Uh, he wasn't here to hear, let him hear. Um, let him hear, it's another power verb. There's your imperative. I'm commanding you to listen to this stuff. Okay. All right. Now, how do we pull this from, from their world to our world today? How can we do that? You're the, you're the church. What can we draw from the text 2,000 years ago and pull it into our lives that we can walk it out, live it out today so that we can say, you know what? I, I, I received it. I heard it. I'm going to keep it. But it's so easy to be distracted in today's world with the instant 24-hour news cycle, uh, just our day-to-day -day living we are exposed to how many different things. Yeah. Uh, and we say, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I can do that. And the next thing you know, uh, you're not being watchful. Yeah, you've been on Facebook for four hours yeah. or Instagram or something. Yeah. Your screen time is through the roof. But we can't crack the Bible truth. Anybody else on how this can apply to us today? global view. Yeah, like no. that's what Christianity is. It's, it's us, and yet we are so materialistic. We're so consumeristic. We are so enmeshed with the culture. You can't tell us apart. You can't squeeze a paper between us and the culture, and we look like we have all these great works. dead or mostly dead and not willing to see it and pay attention to it and you're, but, you're we right. but we look good oh man look good yeah fake it till you make it anybody else on how this applies to us can I ask for clarification yes sir um, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die if I missed it do you mind just kind of explaining what was the intention behind the yeah. I, I think it's really a more simple interpretation. He's literally talking about being faithful with the gospel is what he means. Strengthen your commitment to be the light of the world, salt of the earth, and don't content yourself with blending in. Yeah, I really think it's, it's that simple. Anybody else?
Does this remind you of the armor of God? Put on the full armor of God, right? <coughs> and uh, it, it, and this might sound like some preacherism or some pulpit cliche, but there's some value in it. If you notice anything about the armor, what Paul delineates in Ephesians 6, the backside's not protected, <laughs> right? It's not protected. It's only the front, right? So if you have each other's back, we really can be alert and protect ourselves. But when we're not, and you turn your back to the enemy, you're vulnerable. So yeah, got to be alert, got to be watchful. So, okay. I want to uh, pray, and we're going to prepare to do the Lord's Supper. Uh, Father, I love you, and I thank you for the way you've shown grace. And uh, thank you that you are so faithful to wash us in your blood. Your word says in Ephesians that is through the blood of Jesus we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Thank you. Uh, Father, we're, we can't really find the words, but we try and we say thank you. I want to worship you right now, and we're going to take the bread and the cup, a reminder of your death for us, and that we are covered and made safe by the blood of Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you read this with me in, in unison? For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver.